0: I just wanted to not only replace it, but I wanted to raise it, like, you know, double it or so, you know what I mean? So I just did that and worked really hard.
1: Are you a real estate investor looking to sharpen your skills or a newbie looking to become one? You're in the right place. Welcome to Where Should I Invest? Real Estate Investing in Canada with your host, Sarah Larby.
2: Hey everybody, it is Sarah Larby here and welcome back to another episode of Where Should I Invest? And it is mid-August right now and had a nice summer, spent some time at the cottage and we are getting back into the swing of things. We've been actually very busy this summer working and actually rebranding So Right, which is actually now going to be called the right club r-e-i-t-e and we dropped this southern ontario part so right stands for real estate investing training and education so we wanted to drop the southern ontario part because at some point we do want to be able to help you guys that are out there and not able to come to Burlington every single month for the trainings and the networking. So we are going to be looking towards a online networking opportunity where you guys are going to be able to see what the events were. We're going to be starting to film our events. So there's lots of new things coming. We got our website now for the right club, which is actually the RightClub.com. T-H-E-R-E-I-T-E club.com and we are going to be posting a lot of information there and you guys can connect with us as well that way. So really excited about that. Really excited about the new launch. We've uh, been busy rebranding, working on the website and I think it's like almost done so it is exciting and we gotta enjoy our time and we gotta enjoy the summer at the end of the day as well to uh be able to relax and i don't know if it was really relaxing since the flip was pretty much from may 15th until mid-august and you know, we've had some hiccups along the way, some great things, some not so good things, a little bit of contractor issues there towards the end, and uh, but we are done finally. <laughs> and I'm still debating whether I want to keep and rent it or sell it. So it's on the market right now, but you know, I would be just as happy keeping it and renting. I think I could probably get like $16.50 for that one. We bought it for $2.20 and i'll get it refinanced and reappraised obviously to be able to rent it out but it is nice to have some different options and exit strategies and one of the things today so i have recorded a podcast with dan warren and sean allen and this was back in the spring and it was a networking event called orec and it was about there was probably like 200 investors and this was in london and we did a live podcast so i do apologize in advance if the sound is not the exact same but it is some great content and we'll talk about different strategies that the two of them are doing, they don't invest together. We just ended up doing a podcast and having both of them on at the same time. Sean is a full-time flipper, so he flips properties. Uh, Dan does a lot of student rentals, buy and holds, landlord. So they both have some different strategies. I think it's just really interesting. And if you guys have any comments or anything that you wanna add, please feel free to do so. And I know some of you guys have been reaching out to me as well on my email or my website or even Instagram like if you guys have Instagram I am at sarahlarby84 you can reach out to me there and see the flip project as an example or anything else that I've been up to so I definitely like to connect with you guys and I know I've been helping a few of you guys we've been having some coffee meetings some calls and that kind of stuff so really excited to see that there's a lot of you guys out there that are looking at getting into real estate investing and just need a little bit of a help and guidance to get there and uh, i think you know ultimately if you guys start and you don't procrastinate for 10 plus years you're going to be much more ahead of time and you're going to be so much more further in your life in 10 years from now i mean i've only been doing this for five years and when i look at my properties and my cash flow mortgage pay down appreciation i actually do better in real estate every year than my six-figure income but you know you still want your six-figure income because you got to get your mortgages and financing and all that stuff so definitely it is nice to see that you can create more than one stream of income and you can create income where you're not always trading your time for money and you are letting the markets, your tenants, and things that are outside of your time create that income for you. So we'll uh, get on with the show and the interview. But if you guys have any comments, any questions, again, sarah at sarahlarby.com or by website saralarby.com And now on to the show. Hi everybody, welcome back to Where Should I Invest with Sarah Larby. I am actually doing something different today and today we are at OREC 2018, the Ontario Real Estate Conference and I am sitting here with Dan Warren and Sean Allen. Hi guys, how are you doing?
1: Good, excellent, thank you.
2: Perfect, perfect. So I'm curious, what kind of investing you guys do? And just to know a little bit about your background. So maybe we'll start with you, Dan. Can you let the audience know, the listeners know what kind of investing you are doing, what your portfolio looks like?
0: Sure. Yeah, I invest primarily in uh, student rentals uh, here in London at the Fanshawe College area. So yeah, I have uh, 12 properties over by the college, all within walking radius distance to the college. So
2: Excellent. Okay, good. So a lot of student rentals. And Sean? Uh,
1: So my main focus is with uh, flipping properties. So we buy, renovate, and sell. That's uh, the main focus. We also do rentals as well. So we have a portfolio of a number of duplexes, quads, triplexes, that sort of thing. And then uh, we're actually starting to get into uh, some different things like land development, uh, property management, etc.
2: Okay, excellent. So out of curiosity, how long have you guys started investing? How long has it been since you've
0: started? Well, for me, I started in 2005, but a short run on my first rental. So got rid of that one. So when I really started with student properties was in 2012. Uh, so six years I've been doing it. I quit my job after three years of doing it. So
2: wow. yeah. congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> so how was it that you were able to quit your job? Was it because you've been replaced a lot of the income already?
0: Yeah, like my income, I used to work at a grocery store, so my income wasn't high anyway. So I just wanted to not only replace it, but I wanted to raise it, like, you know, double it or so, you know what I mean? So I just did that and worked really hard to get up to that point so that I wanted to be able to quit my job and still be able to grow my portfolio so I didn't want to be stagnant so I waited until I could take it no more and then wanted to quit and then just move on to real estate full-time okay
2: and for you why student rentals
0: cash flow uh, the cash flow is very good. Like I know you can get good cash flow with things like Airbnb. This is just about a mid-tier, right? So it's more intensive than regular rentals, but then it's not as intensive as Airbnb, but you still get a pretty solid cash flow from it. So that was primarily the reason why I got into it.
2: Okay. And what about you, Sean?
1: Oh, geez, my first flip was back in 2005 as well, actually. I started pretty slowly, so did one flip and then another one after that and started buying, actually, uh, rental properties at that point, um, trying to accumulate some properties. But I figured that the cash flow that I was getting with those wasn't as significant as I wanted. I wanted, like, big chunks of cash, so I went back to flipping, and so I've been sort of focused on the flipping portion of that since then. Okay. Yeah.
2: So flipping, that's, you know, a lot of newbies hear about flipping and they're excited because that's on the shows on HGTV and everything. What are some things that they should be aware of?
1: Yeah. So flipping is, uh, it's kind of the flashy thing, right? And it's all the shows are on HGTV are about that and they're showing all the big money that can be made. And it's true, you can make big money by doing flips, and that's you know how a lot of people also acquire cash to do down payments on rental properties. So it's a great means to an end for that. But it's not as easy as it looks. Obviously, on HGTV, it, a lot of the bad stuff, I'm sure, is edited out, or just it's not the entertainment, right? And it's not flashy, it's a lot of work, and there's definitely a lot of different pitfalls. You need to make sure that you actually know what you're doing, or you could lose a lot of money as well.
2: Have you ever lost
1: a lot of money? I've never personally lost a lot of money. There's been some properties where it's come close but you know they're not all home runs but if you add up a lot of singles and doubles it it makes a significant impact. Okay.
2: Okay well thanks for sharing. So how are you guys financing these properties you have a few of them now you're buying more you're constantly looking for deals is this coming from your own financing or are you guys doing any joint ventures how's that working
0: i would say like for me originally i started financing it myself banks didn't mind so much when you would use lines of credit to <laughs> free down payments and such so we did a few that way and then i started getting into the joint ventures so i did a few of those which helped out We were getting big five financing until the last couple of years. Of course, you get enough properties and they're going to start turning you down. And of course, they started changing the rules. So the banks were afraid of the risk of student rentals. So they completely cut that off. So we can't get any new financing with the big five. So now we have to go to B lenders through a broker. But it's not only just that. It's when you go above 10 properties, uh, most, if not all, of the companies don't even want to deal with you. So then you have to move to higher, uh, even higher rates. But I've found that the credit unions right now are a very reasonable deal. They're going to pay, a, you're going to have to pay a little bit more than the big five, but not too bad. The nice thing about credit unions is if you create a relationship with them and uh, they really like your portfolio, you know, they'll work with you and, you know, treat you well. So,
2: okay. All right, good. So credit unions are probably going to be somewhere. At some point, I think if you're going to buy and hold enough and you're not going to JV, you're going to get to, right? So after the A lenders, you get got the B lenders and then potentially some private. Are you using any private lenders? Any private I funding? haven't.
0: I would like to. Might as well either that or do more JVs or just relax or whatever it is.
2: Okay. All right, good. What about you, John?
0: Yeah, so I'm on the opposite end of Dan
1: actually on that. You know, banks for the most part are irrelevant with us now because we do so many deals. They don't like flips in general anyway, if they know that that's what you're Doing so, banks are not really part of my equation when we move forward. I do all uh, either joint ventures or private money, private investor, hard money. We do it all. We'll we try and get creative with uh, things as well. But for the most part, it's really just about private investors using their cash, using money from their own HELOC, using RSP money. Yeah, whatever way we can acquire the funds, that's sort of how, how we do it now.
2: So, a lot of people are probably listening to this and wondering well, how do I go ahead and find this money from private lenders? Mm-hmm can you tell
1: us about that? Yeah, I think it's difficult when you first start out. You need to have a track record, right? So people need to know what you do and trust that you're doing it well. Uh, Anyone can go and do a flip. That doesn't mean they know what they're doing and they're going to make money, right? So um, I never actually started getting investor money until I was actually well on my way doing a lot of flips and a lot of deals. So people could see that I was doing well. Then it just, it was sort of organic and natural that they wanted to get involved. They were interested and so they would ask the question you know can I do this too or how can I be part of it and then as more and more people started to invest that sort of got around and you know and then it just builds organically that way I think initially you may need to tap into either your own savings or your friends family very close colleagues and then it just builds from there
2: Okay. All right. So I have started doing my first JV, and uh, with Sarah Eder, and she brought the money partner. And I must say, it is nice to not have to finance it yourself, <laughs> and it yeah. is really nice to not have to pay that down payment yourself. So definitely something for me to do more of as well. Um, so I'm just curious in regards to the student rentals specifically. Mm-hmm. A lot of people are probably thinking, I don't want students because students are very rough on the place. They're going to put holes in the wall. They are going to be a nightmare. And I was a student once and I know how it was, so I don't want to do it. So what do you say to those people?
0: Well, you're right. First of all, things are going to happen. So you can't avoid that. Like most of the properties that I pick up, they're usually like that. They're being run in that manner. Uh, They're usually half full. So they're not making money on the property already. They're losing money. Plus their properties are damaged. Like you said, it's very common. So I understand people's hesitant being hesitant to do it uh, because there is more risk. I'm not gonna say there isn't, there's more risk. You're gonna have more problems because just the basics of someone being young, they won't understand how the systems of a house work. So they'll do something like they'll turn your AC down to, you know, 10 degrees and then they'll freeze your AC and you got to come over there and you're wondering why they're ruining your equipment. But they don't do things usually out of malice. It's just because they're not sure how things work. So now I do things to mitigate those issues uh, by like having thermostats that you can only put down to a certain temperature or up to a certain temperature. I give them a range so that they feel like they have control. But anyways, getting back to what you're saying originally. But yeah, it's more risk. I'm just kidding i But you're getting paid for that risk. And if you're selecting your tenants correctly, you're going to be okay. Like I have so many, like four of my houses right now, just like there's not a speck of dust on the floor. Like the one house that I had, I've had it for six years. There's only been two groups in there and they were second year students when they came in. So both of those groups were into their fourth year at college or sometimes they would just stay extra while they're looking uh, because they're from small towns looking for work in the city. So if you can keep them for that amount of time, the good ones, Mm -hmm. you know, you're going to be way far ahead. So,
2: okay. So do you find that there's more management having to show the units or do you do certain things like getting the students to show other students units when they turn around?
0: I've thought about that before. I've never done that before where I've had the students show them. uh, Well, other than in like circumstances that I couldn't get there. But right now I show the units just because I guess I'm starting to get pretty good at it because I've done so many of them, but I schedule them in clumps. I, I know a lot of people do that anyways, but you know, so I'll show them a couple times a week maybe, but it's very condensed. So it's like, I'm not going to turn anybody down and say they have to see the property at this time because it's a very short time frame that you have to rent. So, you know, big deal. You have to go out there again. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, the key is to get the students signed on a lease as soon as you can, because those are going to be all the best students. So you don't want to turn them down for an appointment when they could be a high quality student. Right. So.
2: So do you do 12 month leases? Oh, yes. Okay. Yeah. 12 months. And then you fill them which month?
0: So, okay, so we start, and this is going to be different in each market. Some people start as early as November. Uh, we start uh, looking in January immediately uh, when they get back from the break or just before they get back from the break so that they can, you know, start searching. And uh, we, we look in January for May leases, August lease, and September. But about 60% of my leases are May. And each school is going to be different the way things work, but that's kind of how we do that. So Okay.
2: Thanks very much for that insight. So Sean, I have a few questions about flipping. So I started flipping my first property and I will say, knock on wood, so far it's going very <laughs> smoothly, yeah. but there's probably a lot of things that we should know about. And I think just thinking about buying the right house and calculating your numbers to make sure that you're not losing money. And I want to hear how you do your numbers and what you look for and what you factor in, because I will say that, you know, even though I love HGTV, I don't watch TV anymore right used to it's really fun to watch but there's a lot of costs that they don't factor in when they sell the property holding costs and that kind of stuff so i want to talk to you about that what can you share
1: yeah, so I agree with you. There is definitely a lot of stuff that gets lost in the the translation of the entertainment part of it. We have a formula that we basically won't look at a property unless it's 30% below what we call ARV, after repair value. So, if you're you know, after you fix it up if the property's going to worth be worth $200,000, we won't even look at something unless we know we can get it for 140 or less. Right. So I think a lot of people, when they're starting out, they don't really look at the cost like utilities, right? While you're flipping the project and you're holding it, you've also got the cost of money. So how much is it going to cost for you to hold onto that property for four months or six months or however long it takes you? You know, and uh, you've also got costs of realtor costs when you sell it. You've got you know lawyer costs. You've got land transfer tax costs. So before you even get into how much is it going to cost to spend on renovations, you've already built up a significant amount of cost, right? And that is something that you just have to pay no matter what property you're doing. So that we look at that, we bury that cost into it. And I also have to factor in what's our minimum amount that we're willing to take as a profit. Everything else after that is gravy, of course, but you need to have a a minimum. And uh, so we just build all those numbers into it. and, And everything comes based on that one number, the after repair value, how much can you actually sell the property for? And so if you don't have that number down pat, and you know it very well, you could get yourself in trouble.
2: One of the things that I did not know is that when you get insurance, you have to pay it all up front for that time frame. And I don't know if you have a work around it, but I looked at a couple quotes and for holding a property for three months, I think it was like $1,300 upfront that I had to pay for insurance. And it was actually a good, like, I mean, it's not a whole lot of money, but it was an eye opener because I'm used to buying hold and, you know, paying maybe 80 to a hundred dollars per property per month. And I had no idea. So is there a work around that or is pretty much, standard
1: well that brings up a good point because insurers if they know that your property is vacant and that you're flipping it they look at it very differently than a property that has a tenant in it or that actually has someone living in that unit right so there is a big premium to be paid so what a lot of people try and do is they try to skirt that and say well it's not going to be vacant uh, which can lead to a whole lot of different other issues including lawsuits right so that's not something that uh, you should get into but you so for my myself, I've done so many and we do so many a year uh, that we actually have a special policy drawn up for us through a broker so that we don't have to pay it all up front and we pay monthly and it's just based on the number of properties. So
2: You got to hook me up on that one. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Okay, so then you've got the property, you're demolishing. How did you find your crew?
1: Yeah, so I think that is the biggest issue that we've been having for uh, quite a few years is finding quality people to do the work on so you've got a couple different uh, ways to do it you can bring people on board and so you're sort of managing your own crew or you can find crews to do the work for you myself I like to have the people in house if I can because then you control it a lot better but if you don't have significant amounts of work for these people to do you may lose them and then it's going to be almost impossible to get them back so I think you just have to rely a lot on referrals and follow up Where should I invest? With your host, Sarah Larvey. We'll be right back.
2: Hey guys, I just wanted to take a quick moment and pause the podcast interview here because I wanted to introduce you to Dahlia Barsoom of Streetwise Mortgages. I am a big believer, as you guys probably have heard work with a mortgage broker. They are going to help you scale. And when I was first growing in real estate investing and looking to buying my second property and my third property, I was going directly to the bank then. I hadn't met Dahlia yet. And I actually was hitting a roadblock when it came to financing because the bank started asking me for 25% as the down payment. And then for my third property, they wanted 35%. And it was really, really hard for me to, A, understand why it was creeping up like that, and B, I didn't have 35% to put down. I had 20%. And luckily, I actually met Dahlia at that point in time. And Dahlia is actually an investor herself, and she works with many, many investors. And she knows all the pitfalls and the barriers that normally come up with dealing directly with a bank and all the different lenders and Dahlia was actually able to not just find me proper alternatives, but I've got nine properties now and I'm still able to get financing with A lenders and it allows me to be able to scale up without hitting the financing wall. And so she's been a tremendous help. So the other thing I really, really enjoy is Dahlia also does a free goals analysis. So if you go to either my website or her website, streetwisemortgages.com, mention the podcast and ask for the free goals analysis. It was a game changer for me and it allowed me to actually understand what I needed to do, how many properties I was going to get because of the cash flow that I was looking for. If you guys wanted to reach out to Dahlia, you can reach out to her by email which is info at streetwisemortgages.com or you can actually reach out to her on the website at streetwisemortgages.com and then just go to the contact section. And you can also call her at 1-800-208-6255. Thanks for listening and back to the show.
1: Back to the show. Where should I invest? Real estate investing in Canada with your host, Sarah Larvey.
2: Okay. All right. So if you guys can think of your one deal that was probably your best deal for each of you, what would that one be?
0: I would probably say the one that I just did. I got a wholesale deal, uh, eighty thousand dollars under market value, uh, which I thought was pretty decent. And uh, so we picked it up for two twenty five. Immediately, the, the bank appraised it at three hundred four, and we're transforming that from a single family home, three bedroom, into a, a six bedroom student home. So I think that was probably the best deal. And it's funny because we're in a hot market and I just told you that I just got the best deal in this hot market. So yeah. it's definitely doable for people to still use all the techniques that everybody is talking about. Like there's a million different ways to do real estate, but you gotta be able to work in every single market, right? Hot market, bad market, whatever. Just uh, you know, network and get those deals done either way.
2: And so this wholesaler, was it somebody that you had a previous relationship with?
0: Yes, exactly. So yeah they came to me first because and that's the thing when you network people know that oh okay well dan specializes in student properties so they're like they came directly to me because they knew i could close they knew that i wouldn't like say oh well the guy left some garbage because i don't care about that and i'm going to make the deal very smooth right so once you're known as a person that can close deals and make things happen and you're not a problem you know they'll come to you first
2: Okay, so I actually have a follow-up question because some of what I've been hearing out there is that you've got to be quite careful with some municipalities and the maximum number of bedrooms. And I don't know if you're able to share, but how are you getting around that?
0: Well, it's true. Some municipalities have a like a limit of five bedrooms. or I'm sure I can only imagine what it's like in Kitchener-Waterloo. I looked at some of their rental licensing rates and stuff. It's... For the student properties and it's really to tell you the truth it's crazy like they're taking like somebody's cash flow for an entire month to have a rental license. And uh, I think that's, you know, go into that for a while. You can say whatever (laughs) you want on this podcast. (laughs) Yeah, it's just just unfortunate because uh, people are trying to provide value, right? And don't get me wrong, like my properties are mint. Like, you know, we don't have bad properties. And so to me, having so much control over, you know, how many people per house, to me, it's like if you create a quality product, you know, like for instance, like if I have five students in a house, okay, it's okay to have one living room. But if you have six, you've got to have two living spaces for people. And you got to have multiple bathrooms, right? Two, three bathrooms, right? In these houses. Because, you know, you should be providing quality product for these people. Because it's going to make them happy and want to stay. And so, to me, it's more like doing what is morally right. Like safety. Egress windows for basement bedrooms. Safety is very important. Fire prevention, this type of stuff. Very important. What's not as important is what the municipality says. It's more important to do what's morally right
2: okay I've also heard some landlords will do one lease and so instead of having like five or six different ones they'll just have a group and then they'll sign the one lease to be able to overcome some of that
0: yeah I do that I don't know how the city would like that I don't know how they would feel about the one lease because uh, I've never had an issue with it because I'm pretty low profile but I don't know. yeah that's right <laughs> <laughs> but yeah there's ways of getting around everything and uh, that's where networking comes into play and uh, Uh, you just kind of see what the other guys are doing in the neighborhood or people, not guys, but I don't know. It's, there's ways around things so
2: okay all right perfect um and Sean your best deal what has that been
0: it's a good question I guess uh,
1: for me it's about fast cash so whatever is sort of the least amount of work and provides the most amount of cash in the fastest manner it would be my favorite so two come to mind one is uh, a wholesale so you don't even close on the property and you're just flipping that contract for cash so thirty thousand dollars on a wholesale deal is good for me and then the second one was a government auction house that I bought and I didn't have to really do anything except clean it and then resell it so the speed of cash for those is uh, what makes me happy
2: so out of curiosity how many deals are you doing are you doing one at a time selling it are you doing a few at a time how's that working
1: Um, yep so we'll do uh, last year we did over 20 um, and this year we're on track to do even more than that we are doing up to 8 or 9 at a time so you know it's a significant amount of uh, properties to do at once not for the faint of heart. <laughs>
2: no, it's not. So you guys are both very successful investors. And I'm wondering, you know did you have family that were, was doing something like this before? Did you know somebody? Like, How did you decide that you're going to go all in in flipping or in the student rental piece? Or was it through networking and these types of events?
0: Well, I'll tell you, Like, getting back to my first uh, rental property back in 2005, a duplex I bought. Well, it was something as simple as... My aunt had a duplex, and she was selling it. And my mom was telling me, "Oh, your aunt's selling her duplex." I said, "Okay, how much does she want for it?" She told me, and I said, "Okay, I'll, I'll call her." And then I called my aunt. She told me how much she wanted, and um, I said, "Okay, I'll give you that." And I had no idea. Like I'd never read a real estate book or any of this stuff. Like, don't get wrong. Obviously, you should educate yourself and know the numbers so you don't lose your shirt. But sometimes taking action is so I mean that's the key and uh, considering I didn't uh, know anything about it I bought that property and and I was getting cash flow of $500 a month off that duplex so it was good to just get in Uh, maybe it was better for me to get in not knowing what was going on maybe if I had known more maybe I wouldn't have done it so
2: (laughs) okay so then you bought the one and then how long after till you bought your second one?
0: Well, I ended up selling that one and I sold my principal residence and moved into another duplex, but then I sold it in 2008. So I, yeah, so it was six years between the next, uh, and this is uh, good for the viewers at home. Uh, Just keep buying and buy as much as you can quickly at the right price and you'll be okay. It was a lot of lost time, but I learned some lessons and uh, yeah, but I would say move very quickly.
2: So after you started buying again. Yep and decided that you really want to focus on this. Was it anything to do with networking or like what was the difference between five years prior or six years prior to, you know, at that time?
0: Right. I had been looking for a year before I had bought anything and I I was just so obsessed really with getting a cheap price, which at the time you know it doesn't matter now everything doubled in value almost or whatever so I would say it wasn't really networking or anything like that because at that time I didn't really have a network I was just wanting to get out there and I didn't want to do my day job anymore I knew that and there was something like burning inside I was like no I got to get out of this somehow and I knew from previous experience that real estate was the way but I have to say like after I bought the first student property I met my realtor who's now continues to work with me and once I met him it was great because even though he was 10 years younger than me he had so much experience and he taught me exactly how to do things even though he was 10 years younger and this is a, a great example it doesn't matter how old people are or whatever if they have the experience listen to them take their advice and you will do well and that's what I did
2: Okay, awesome, thanks for sharing. What about you, Sean, was it a family member or did you just decide to do it on your own? How did that work out?
1: Yeah, no, I didn't have anybody in my space that was uh, investing or doing anything of that nature of the time and, and as a matter of fact when I first started, most people were telling me I was crazy to do it. It's too much risk, you're not gonna make any money, you could lose your shirt, you get sued, all this stuff, right? And you know, taking advice from people who aren't actually doing what you want to be doing is kind of foolish. So I just sort of forged ahead on my own. I didn't know anybody that was doing it in my circle. So I started going out to those networking groups, like driving to Toronto, driving to different areas. I'd go to all the gurus' speeches, talking about real estate, trying to figure out what I wanted to do, tons and tons of books, and just educated myself. So, and, you know, we continued on, and we've actually started our own uh, real estate group as well. So,
2: what's your real yeah. estate group
1: it's called? ONRIA, so the Ontario Real Estate Investor Association in London. Okay. Yeah.
2: So, how has real estate changed your lives?
0: Uh, Massively. Massively. Like, I quit after three years of doing the student properties. I quit my job and I could have done it after two. But now, like, I, since I worked at a grocery store, it was like working weekends, working nights, having no control over your life. It felt like you were working all the time because your days off were during the week or whatever. So I was able to get control back in my life. So that's what I wanted. I've always wanted that to have complete control over my time. If I'm working, I decide when I work. If I don't want to do something, I hire. Somebody to do it, so it was that control as well as just in general the day to day. Like I know I keep telling everybody I work four hours a week, and uh, it's it's true. And having that is just life changing. Like I get up in the morning whenever I want. I actually um, set my alarm yesterday. I didn't have to today, but uh, for OREC because uh, you know it was important to me, right? But other than that, I never set my alarm, and I just do whatever I want every single day. And I'm going to do that for the rest of my life.
2: That's awesome. That's really inspiring. What about you, Sean? Uh, yeah,
0: it's
1: completely changed my life. I'm same with Dan. Time freedom is probably the major thing. I used to work. Uh, in human resources uh, for a major corporation and you know it allowed me to leave that job and now I basically focus and do like dance said whatever I want when I want um, within reason I mean you're still trying to build a, a business but I control my time I control the money I can do what I want when I want but it's also it's completely changed who I hang around with it's completely changed who the people I know most of the people that I interact with now I would have never have met if I wasn't doing real estate including you, Sarah. So, um, but all of my, my colleagues, fellow investors, even fellow um, investors, and then investors that invest with me, I wouldn't have known them if I wasn't doing what I'm doing now. So it, it's a completely different mindset than what I was in before.
2: Yeah, so you guys are hearing I mean, it doesn't take 30 years of work, no. even at this, to be able to take that freedom back and enjoy your life. So, you know, you guys are living proof of this and started just a few short years ago. It's mm-hmm. awesome. So let's move on to our lightning round. So I'm going to ask you guys each a series of five questions and you're going to give me the first answer that comes to mind. Keep your answers short and sweet. You ready?
0: Sure. I'm ready.
2: Okay. So question number one, what is your favorite real estate investing book ever?
0: I like Don Campbell. And so I would say real estate investing in Canada 2.0, I believe.
2: Okay. Sean, what about you?
0: Rich Dad, Poor Dad.
2: Rich Dad, Poor Dad has yeah. probably been a crowd favorite.
0: I think so. Yeah
2: very cool what about your favorite podcasts
0: well i like the on fire podcast as well as this beautiful podcast <laughs> as well okay uh i listen to gary
1: v so vanner is probably one of my favorites but i also like uh, one called the mf ceo
2: all right so aside from real estate what do you guys do for fun
0: good question Hiking? That's my short answer. Yeah,
1: I've got uh, I've got a wife and two young boys, so a lot of time spent with them. Um, but I also like to golf
0: and uh, watch sports.
2: And so if you guys lost all of your money, all of your assets tomorrow, yes. how would you start again?
0: Uh, it wouldn't take me long. Uh, that's the funny thing about knowing something, and that's the importance of... Uh, Valuing—I know you're not asking this, and this is the lightning round—but valuing yourself when you're doing joint ventures, I would immediately be able to go out, do joint ventures, and make the money fast because that's what it's all about—is the knowledge. Money's nice, but without the knowledge, you know, you can't do anything with money. True. Yeah,
1: and that doesn't even really scare me anymore. It used to terrify me that uh, you get into a deal and you would lose your shirt and lose everything. But with the network that I have now and the knowledge, it would be super easy to just redo it all over again and do it even better.
2: Okay, awesome. So if a newbie investor or somebody comes to you guys and they have $50,000 in their checkings account, as an example, and they ask you, how should I spend it? What would you tell them?
0: $50,000? Well, first of all, I would buy a house... A student house, of course. (laughs) And uh, I would live in one of the bedrooms or live in the basement. Maybe there's two bedrooms in the basement and there's three upstairs. I would live in the basement and then rent out the other three rooms upstairs and that would get them ahead. Okay. Okay.
1: I would tell them to take a a big portion of that, go find a coach and a mentor and pay them to teach you exactly what you want to know, follow exactly what they're doing and take the rest of it as a down payment on a property and just get started.
2: Great. Some great advice. So that was our lightning round. So if listeners want to reach out to you and know more about you, how can they reach out to you, Dan?
0: Sure. I do have a YouTube channel. There's probably two uh, videos on there. So if you want to watch those, uh, Dan Warren, also Dan Warren on Facebook and Dan Warren Vegan on Instagram.
2: Okay. Perfect. And Sean? Yeah,
0: they can reach me again on
1: Facebook and Instagram as uh, Sean Allen, and they can also reach us through ONRIA, so the Ontario Real Estate Investor Association website, so ONREA.ca, and also at
0: ONRIA on Instagram.
2: Okay, so any final words of advice or anything else that you'd like listeners to know about?
0: I would just say with this hot market right now, just go to your network. And if you don't have a network, go onto Facebook. There's lots of Facebook groups or meetup.com. Find like-minded people who are going to be able to find nice deals for you and you'll get into the game and make money.
2: Okay. Sean?
0: Um, I would
1: say my number one piece of advice is take action. There's far too many people that go to conferences, they go to seminars, and they don't do anything. So if you're not going to take action, nothing's going to change.
2: That's really great advice. So we're here today at OREC 2018. And you know these are the like-minded individuals that you want to spend your time with. These are going to be the people that are out there educating themselves. But the taking action piece is so important because a lot of people might come here this year and in a year from now, you have the conference again and they're still in the same <laughs> spot. So definitely taking action is, you know, even if you buy something and you learn from that because it might not be the best deal. Like for me, for example, that first house that I bought, I thought I was doing a great thing by putting my sister-in-law in in there and it was you know the cheapest house that you can find and it was an 1850s house and anyways there's lots of things that went wrong with that but I took action and you learned from that as well. So I think, you know, you're never going to have that perfect deal. You're never going to know everything you need to know. But definitely that taking action piece is going to move you forward in life. And you guys don't have to work 30, 40 years until you retire. And you can be like Dan and Sean and live and earn enough that you can take your time back. So with that said, thank you so much, Dan. Thank you so much, Sean, for being thank on Where I Invest? You. Really appreciate it.
1: Thanks so much for listening to Where Should I Invest with your host, Sarah Larby. Make sure to listen in next time. We'll catch you on the next episode of Where Should I Invest.